You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Jesus is coming. We haven't been given that luxury to know. We live in anticipation of His return, of the living Lord returning at any moment. Listen to what Jesus said about the parable of the faithful and evil servant in Luke 12, 35. You might be asking yourself, what do we do during this time? He said, be dressed for service, well prepared, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he knocks. Are you ready? When we anticipate something, often everything we do reflects what we're anticipating. In today's message, Pastor Dave says that we should be ready for the Lord's return. This means that if you are a believer, you should be sharing the gospel as if tomorrow is your last day. How can you be ready for the Lord's return? Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he continues his message, The Living Lord. But when we come to verse 3a, it says, To whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them 40 days. This is the main portion of what we're going to study today in the living Lord. Many men and many women saw Jesus after his resurrection. You look through the scriptures and you see Jesus opening the minds of the disciples, helping them to understand the Old Testament passages that were written about him. They didn't have a New Testament. The New Testament wasn't written when Jesus walked the earth. So according to the Scriptures means the Old Testament. And take another trip back to Luke for a minute. In the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, in verses 44 through 48, 44 through 48, here we see Jesus opening and helping the disciples to understand what was written about him. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. Jesus explains to them, opens up the Scriptures, opens up their mind. And I love on the road to Emmaus when the two disciples are walking down there hand in hand after the crucifixion. And they were just disappointed. They were dejected. They were walking around kicking dirt. Oh, woe is me. You know, he's gone. I don't know what we're going to do now. I guess we're going to find some worms to eat. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Jesus appeared and starts walking with them. He said, why are you so down? And they said, where have you been, man? Holy mackerel. Haven't you heard about this Jesus of Nazareth? And he went on to tell them about everything that he already knew. And he looked at them, and he started to talk to them. And he started to take the Scriptures. What a Bible study. He started at the beginning of the Scriptures and went all the way through the Scriptures, showing himself every single place it was there. And they still didn't know who it was. And then finally they begged him, please stay with us. Have some dinner with us. Come on, stay with us. You know, Jesus liked to eat. 
So he stayed with them. And as soon as he took the bread and broke it, they knew who he was, and he was gone. But what did they say, which is important? Did not our hearts burn when he was explaining the Scriptures to us? That's how we should feel when the Holy Spirit starts to explain the Scriptures to us. Our hearts should burn. Our hearts should burn with passion, and we should go, wow! We should just really be alive to what we read, because everything we read testifies of Jesus Christ. And our hearts should be burning when we read the Scriptures, and we should be on fire. It shouldn't be a chore to read the Scriptures. We shouldn't get up in the morning and go, i got to read the Scriptures. No, we should want to get into the book. We should want to read it because in here is life. In here gives us life, and it gives us sustenance, we said. But there were many other lessons that the disciples needed to learn before they could launch out on their new ministry. Jesus appeared and reappeared many times during those 40 days. And the believers never knew when he might show up. You know, they'd be eating, and all of a sudden he'd walk through a wall, and there he was. And then he'd leave again. He would just show up at all odd times. It was great preparation for the church because the days were coming when he wasn't going to be around. He wasn't going to be there for them. So they believed in the reality of the resurrection. They believed with all their heart in the reality. You know, some of the believers may have had doubts before the resurrection took place. But there could be no questions that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. To strengthen the disciples' faith, he gave them many infallible proofs, Luke says. Now, we really don't know what all these infallible proofs are because Luke doesn't go on to his long description. But if you go back and read through the Gospels, time and time and time again, you see the proofs that Luke was talking about. Jesus would meet with the disciples. He would invite them to touch him. Touch me. Look at my nail hand. Look at my scars. Touch me. Listen to me, my voice. They would hear his voice audibly. He ate with them even. What more proofs did they need that he was alive? Because these proofs were convincing. See, faith in the resurrection was so important to the church back then because it helped them spiritually. It gave them spiritual power. Just like today, the resurrection is paramount that we believe in the resurrection because it is true oneness of Christianity. It is what Christianity is based on. Also, the gospel involves the truth of the resurrection. If Jesus were dead, the church would be speechless. They would be lying. They would be living a lie. And if it were a lie, please tell me why so many people, so many people in the great persecution of the church went to death, were put to death because they would not renounce the name of Jesus Christ. Now, surely, if it was a lie, someone would have said, well, you know, wait a minute. But no, they didn't. These believers that Luke is talking about were chosen for a special witness of Jesus Christ's resurrection. And their emphasis was on that in their ministry. We're going to discover that as we continue in the book of Acts, how they emphasized the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll discover how these disciples, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, turned the world upside down with the gospel message, becoming witnesses of a risen Christ throughout the world. You know, most of the people of Jerusalem knew that Jesus was crucified. Most of the people in Jerusalem knew that he was put into a tomb but they didn't know he was raised from the dead. So by the words of the disciples, by the mighty walk that they walked, by the mighty works that they'd done through the Holy Spirit, they knew that Jesus was alive. And the same thing can happen today right here in Cape May. It can happen today. Yes, many people saw Jesus after his resurrection, and many believed. You know, Paul said that in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that at one time, Jesus was seen by as many as 500 people. 500! 
You know, we have a jurisprudence system here in the United States, and if that's a big word, it just simply means courts and laws. Jurisprudence system. But it's based on the testimony of witnesses. If a man is accused of a crime, and there are people who witnessed the crime while it was being committed, they come up, they are sworn in on the Bible, that they'll tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, and then they say what they, they know about this crime. And if they can ID the man, make an eyewitness, they go, yeah, there's the one that did it. And they point to him. Now, then if their questioning stands up after a cross-examination, and you have two or three or four out of two or three witnesses, the man is usually convicted because they have eyewitnesses. Can you imagine the attorney coming in for Jesus being resurrected from the dead? And the judge says, let me have your, let me have your witness list. And it takes Great big witness list, 500 people. We're going to call everybody? Absolutely, everybody saw him. So if the court systems are based on the witness of two or three people, how can people not believe that Jesus is alive? How can they not even fathom that he is alive when we have the eyewitness of 500 people? 500 people. I mean, people read Shakespeare. He lived how many years ago? And they swear that this was Shakespeare writing. Did anybody ever see Shakespeare after his death? Do they know these things? We have Jesus' word. He was alive. 500 people or more saw him. I find that to be an infallible proof. Infallible proof. So he showed himself alive. And his passion by many, many infallible proofs. Many times he showed himself. But what about us? What about us? I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh. I haven't seen him. I haven't heard his voice. What about me? I live by faith, not by sight. Now, faith, we know, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But I have evidence. When I look at the evidence of my life, when I look at the changed life that has happened within me, I have all the proof that I need that Jesus is alive. Because I look at the evidence in my life. And now as I get to know you, I look at the evidence in my wife's life and in the evidence of some of the other people's lives. I see the evidence. It's quite clear that a change has taken place. And that change cannot be accounted for than anything other than my belief in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection given to me by the grace of God. That's the bottom line. But look what Jesus says to our buddy Thomas in John 20, verse 29. You know Thomas, the doubter. I like to think he was more of a skeptic than he was a doubter. But you know what is a doubter? Unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I stick my hand right into that side, I'm not going to believe. Well, be careful what you wish for, Thomas, because then then Jesus appears. And the first thing he does, all the disciples are gathered. The first person he walks over to, Thomas. Thomas, here. Here, put your hand in here. What did Thomas do? Thomas claps and see, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. If Jesus, number one, was not God, he would have rebuked Thomas. He would have said, you can't say that about me. Because every time people tried to declare angels as God and try to worship them, they rebuked them. Because only God can accept worship. And here you have Jesus accepting it. And Jesus looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. And then he talks about us. He talks about us when he says, bless it. And this means, oh, how happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. He knew we would be coming. And it's my fervent prayer that like Thomas, we would grasp that fact 
that though we have not seen him, that though we have not feel him, that Jesus is alive and he's truly with us. Believe in the lives that will be changed. Because if you believe this, I guarantee your life will be changed. I guarantee it. Now, we may not hear him audibly or see him visibly as the disciples did, but I guarantee he continues to speak to us today loud and clear through his word. Loud and clear. Speaking to us the same things that he taught the disciples, the reality of his resurrection. That it's true. It's real. The other thing he taught us can be found in this last part of verse 3, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Pertaining to the kingdom of God. This refers to the reign of God over our hearts and the lives of those who trusted in him. Remember we talked about God's providential hand? How that is part of his life? God's unchanging promises? Never failing promises? His unchanging life? And the power that we have? That's all available by his life, his death, his resurrection. And when we believe in that, we step into that lively hope. When you read the four Gospels, you discover that the apostles had their pretty strong political views. They were pretty strong politics. They really had some views. And they, especially when it came to their positions in heaven and their privileges in heaven. So being loyal Jews that they were, they longed to defeat their enemies. They wanted their enemies dead. Make no mistake about it. And they wanted the final establishment of the glorious kingdom that the King Messiah would bring. They knew what was coming. Remember, Jesus opened their mind to the Scriptures. They knew. They knew what was in the hearts. They knew. In a few verses from now, they're going to ask Jesus, right before he ascends into heaven, they're going to say, Jesus, are you now ready to establish your kingdom? And he didn't rebuke them. He wasn't mad that they said that. He didn't rebuke them for that, even though they kept dancing. He had opened their minds. But just like us, we know what the Scripture says about the rapture. We believe in the rapture of the church. We know what's coming. But we're not to constantly think about it. We're to live our lives on a daily basis. We'll get to that in a minute. When God wants this to happen, it's going to happen. And you can think about it all you want, but some people get obsessed with the fact that it's going to happen. Yes, it is going to happen, but we're called to live our lives in a way to draw other people to Jesus Christ. We're called to live our lives in a way that other people would be drawn to Christ as he's lifted up. It's important that we look back. It's important that this happen. But instead of being too curious about the future, let's get busy in the present, sharing the gospel message and the spiritual kingdom message, and draw people into this kingdom because that day will come. According to the Scriptures, that day is going to happen. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to happen in a twinkle of an eye, and we're going to be out of here. I don't want to leave anybody behind. I don't want anybody to be left behind because I didn't do what I was supposed to do for Christ by not telling them the message, by not showing them the message in my life. I have family members who still aren't saved. I don't want them to be left behind. Yeah, I know the rapture's coming. That should make me all the more busy. i got to get busy get to work. Now, I can't save anybody. I don't have that power. But I can witness to them. I can show them Jesus Christ. I can show them Jesus Christ in my life. But it's up to God to save them. It's up to the Holy Spirit to tweak their heart. The disciples did this. They followed the lead of the Holy Spirit, and they spread the good news of Jesus' life. They spread the good news of his death and resurrection. You're thinking, death and resurrection? Yeah, that's good news. If Jesus didn't die, my sins would still be on me. But he did die. But he was resurrected. So often we go to the cross. And don't get me wrong here. We need to go to the cross. The cross is paramount. We need to go to the cross because that's where sin is forgiven. That's where sin is taken away. But then we've got to walk through the cross into the abundant life that he's given us. 
And that's where the resurrected life happens. That's where true life is in Jesus Christ. We can't stop at the cross. So many people get stuck at the cross. It's, you know, yes, it's a great place to go. And when you sin, you need to go right back to the cross and confess, but move into the life that Jesus has given us. As we said earlier, after the resurrection, he appeared and reappeared many, many times, and his disciples never knew when he was going to show up. That's like us today. We don't know when Jesus is coming. We haven't been given that luxury to know. We live in anticipation of his return, of the living Lord returning at any moment. Listen to what Jesus said about the parable of the faithful and evil servant in Luke 12, 35. You might be asking yourself, what do we do during this time? He said, be dressed for service, well prepared, as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he knocks. Are you ready? Are you prepared today? In Luke 19, 13, Jesus says, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. And when I was a young boy, I went to the movies once, and I saw this movie called The Longest Day. It's a war movie about the D-Day invasion. Great flick if you like war movies, and there's a lot of things. John Wayne was in it, so I had to see it. But anyhow, one of the tasks that these guys had to do was they had to go, and they came in by glider, and they landed their gliders, and they had to take this bridge. They had to take this bridge, and they had to hold the bridge until the groups that came in from the coast met up with them. And I'll never forget, and it kept on going over, and it really became really important to me when I became a Christian, because over and over and over, this guy who's in command, he keeps repeating the same words in his mind, and it's on the screen, you can hear him, and the orders were, hold until relieve, hold until relieve. And all that throughout the movie, every time you saw this guy, they're fighting Germans and things are being blown up, and he's running around, and he keeps repeating in his mind, hold until relieve, hold until relieve. And when I became saved, it struck me. That's our job. That's what we got to do. Hold until we're relieved. We got to occupy until Jesus comes. We got to go about our business in a daily fashion, getting up in the morning, going to work, doing whatever it is we have to do, witnessing about Christ in our life, talking to people about Jesus Christ, holding until we are relieved by our Lord and Savior when he comes and snatches us out. That's our job. We're going to hold until we're relieved. We're going to occupy until we come. But Jesus gave the disciples plenty of things to do while he was gone. Plenty of things. Listen to this list. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, he says, Do not be deceived. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Proclaim the gospel. Endure to the end. Be watchful. Be prayerful. Be awake. Be faithful. Be ready. That sounds like a list. That sounds like a list of things to do. We have a lot to do before Jesus gets back. And we need to be doing it constantly and consistently in our lives. You know, many Gnostic teachers and many New Age teachers would like you to think that after the resurrection, Jesus used these 40 days to teach his followers mystic stuff and discover new discovered things. Well, that's just not true. Because there's nothing new under the sun. This word contains everything we need for life and godliness. It contains everything we need to live the Christian life. You might not hear Jesus' voice audibly. You might not see him visibly as the disciples did, but he continues to speak to us pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. He continues to speak to us about his life, his death, his resurrection, and we need to continue to listen and have our hearts burn with excitement so that we can be ready in season, out of season, to share his word to share his love with those we come in contact with. 
The focus of the book of Acts is Jesus. From the opening verse in chapter 1, Luke speaks about Jesus often. It's the priority message of the book. In fact, he speaks and says the name of Jesus no less than 65 times during, in the entire book. You might say that Luke had an obsession with Jesus. But from this, this becomes, this focus upon Jesus becomes one of the distinctives of the early church. And it is so important that it is now a distinctive of Calvary Chapel, the centrality of Jesus Christ. And that's why you always hear me focusing upon Jesus Christ, talking about Jesus Christ, because he is the central focus of our ministry, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This was the undisputed theme and central message of the new church. The book of Jesus begins with Jesus teaching and being taught to Theophilus by Luke. And it ends, the book of Acts ends by Jesus being taught by those that came to see the Apostle Paul. Acts is a story of what Jesus began to do in the church and what he wants to continue to do through our lives. And Jesus said of us, greater things will you do than these. Greater things than the apostles? Greater things than Jesus himself? Those are Jesus' words, they're not my words. Yes, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the old Jimmy Durante story. You ain't seen nothing yet. Christianity is not just a religion that we study. It's a doing religion. It's a lie. The sayings and doings of Jesus should touch us, but they should also move us to become doers of the words, not hearers only. As we keep our focus on Jesus, we'll become more like him. And that's why the church should always focus on Jesus Christ. That's why we study his word. That's why we take it into our lives, and that's why we then apply it to our lives as we go on walking in him. I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but I've quoted a couple hymns lately, and it's really been important to me. The hymns are gorgeously written. There's some beautiful hymns out there. When you look at them and you read their words, they're incredible. And I found one today that I used to sing in Sunday school when I was a young boy. And we used to sing this all the time, and I love it. And it fits here today, and I'm going to read it to you. You might even know it. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Isn't that beautiful? It's apropos today. What a wonderful thought that we worship and serve a risen Jesus and folks, This is not a fairy tale. We are not following some cunningly devised fable, but have given our lives to a risen, living Savior. There is ample proof of His resurrection. And now we're called to be ambassadors of the good news. We are to go into all the world and preach the message of the risen King. What joy it is to know Jesus. We have a living faith. We serve Him with all our lives. And it's a joy bring the message of salvation to others. You are You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope. Show.